This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Good morning and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. The podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. This is episode 204, entitled... An introduction to the theme of misunderstanding in the Gospel of John. And boy, oh boy, do we have an exciting episode for you this week. We'll be looking at the Gospel of John and this very important theme that will certainly turn out to be an ongoing series that surely will be to your liking. This week's episode will explore the literary theme of misunderstanding in the Gospel of John. Now, recognizing and understanding this theme is highly important for making sense of what the author, or authors, if that's what it turns out to be, of the Gospel of John are trying to convey to their ideal readers. The theme of misunderstanding also tells us as readers how to correctly accept Jesus within the Gospel of John, how to understand his person, and of course, how to understand his teachings. Moreover, the theme of misunderstanding rules out incorrect understandings of Jesus and his teachings. What is the theme of misunderstanding, and how does it promote the Jesus that's presented in the Gospel of John. Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is defining the theme of misunderstanding in the Gospel of John. So Warren Carter, in his book, John, Storyteller, Interpreter, Evangelist, which is a book that I highly recommend if you're a Biblical Unitarian, Warren Carter defines the theme of misunderstanding in these three steps. Step number one, Jesus makes an ambiguous statement in the narrative of the Gospel of John. Step number two, the conversation partner misunderstands what Jesus says, either by interpreting it literally or by asking an inappropriate question. Step number three, either Jesus or the narrating author explains the statement. Although sometimes an explanation is missing, but it's clearly implied. So there are the three different parts of the theme of misunderstanding that we see in the Gospel of John. Now Warren Carter argues that this particular theme appears 18 times in the Gospel of John. And out of those 18 times, it shows up eight times where the conversation partner is the Jerusalem leaders, another eight times to where the conversation partner is the actual disciples of Jesus, and two times when the conversation partner is the crowds. So I think it's interesting that those who misunderstand Jesus at least in the Gospel of John, are just as frequently the Jews, the Jewish 
leaders, the Jerusalem leaders, as well as the disciples. So I think that's a very interesting point to consider. Now, in Warren Carter's book, he actually draws attention to the earlier work by R. Allen Culpepper. And the name of that book is Anatomy of the Fourth Gospel, A Study in Literary Design. So, of course, if we're looking at the theme of misunderstanding, which is interwoven into the narrative of the Gospel of John at least 18 times, then certainly a book on the literary design of the fourth gospel would be very important. Now, Culpepper has a very large section of his book that actually deals with this theme, the theme of misunderstanding. And he notes the importance of discerning key elements within the narrative of the Gospel of John when this particular theme appears. And so by analyzing this particular theme, Culpepper makes these particular points. He notes that it's important when we are reading and trying to discern this particular theme and the meaning of it, that we need to figure out what it is that Jesus says that's ambiguous. We also need to identify the conversation partner. Are they a positive character in the narrative? Are they a neutral character in the narrative? Are they an antagonist in the narrative? We have to look at the theme of the conversation itself. What exactly are they talking about? And Culpepper notes that the misunderstanding topic is often dealing with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And that's a very interesting point for us to consider. And then, as we saw with our third point in the theme of misunderstanding, Culpepper wants to know who actually is it that gives the understanding within the narrative. Is it Jesus who gives it? Is it the narrator that gives it? Or is it simply implied with the clear sense of irony that this theme of misunderstanding places within the narrative. Culpepper also identifies and counts 18 instances where the theme of misunderstanding appears in the Gospel of John. So Warren Carter finds 18 and Culpepper also finds 18. So this, of course, is going to make for a lot of podcast material as we move through the Gospel of John and trace this particular theme, which is vitally important for understanding Jesus, his person, and his teachings. Let's move on to our second point. Point number two, the scholarly consensus of the theme of misunderstanding in the Gospel of John. Now, maybe this is the first time that you are hearing of the theme of misunderstanding. Maybe you have noticed this particular theme in reading in the Gospel of John, but you haven't quite figured out the right way to articulate it, to put it into words, or to make sense of it. So what I want to demonstrate with this particular theme is how much of a consensus there is in regard to this particular theme by experts in the Gospel of John, and for how long these experts have been talking about it. So the earliest reference that I could find, at least in the books that are on my small shelf, goes back to B.F. Westcott. And he had a commentary on the Gospel of John written in 1881, 140 years ago. And Westcott 
argued that, quote, St. John notices on other occasions the real meaning of words of the Lord not understood at first. And then Westcott goes and he provides a variety of references to point out these places to where Jesus says something, but they are not understood by Jesus' dialogue partner. Rudolf Boltman argued in his commentary on the Gospel of John that, quote, the device of the misunderstanding occurs again and again throughout the Gospel, end quote. And Boltman actually suggests that this particular device, what I call the theme of misunderstanding, was already being used in Hellenistic revelation literature, which would suggest, if this is true, that this particular literary theme is not unique to the Gospel of John. It might have been very familiar to those who were more widely read in Hellenistic revelation literature. C.K. Barrett, in his commentary on the Gospel of John, comments on the first appearance of the theme of misunderstanding within the narrative by saying, quote, The Jews take the superficial meaning of the words and naturally remark their absurdity. Barrett goes on and says that such misunderstandings are very characteristic of John. He goes on and he says that, and are often, as here, more than a literary trick employed by the writer given to irony. They represent in miniature the total rejection of Judaism to Christ. End quote. I think that's very interesting. He notes, C.K. Barrett notes, that this is a literary theme that's placed in the narrative. The Jews are going to take superficial meaning to what Jesus says in a way that is really absurd. And the way that they misunderstand it actually points to a deeper truth, is that it indicates in a small manner, at least in the narrative, the total rejection of Judaism to Christ that the author and the Johannine community surrounding the author are actually dealing with in their real-life situation with their Jewish critics who don't accept Jesus as the Messiah. They think that Jesus is a messianic pretender. Moving on, the New Interpreter's Dictionary of the Bible, in its five volumes, has an article entitled Gospel of John. And in this article on the Gospel of John, it notes how it is common for the author of the Gospel of John to use this enigmatic language, often where Jesus speaks of one reality while his dialogue partner interprets Jesus at a mere literal level. The article also points out that this literary device of misunderstanding, quote, not only confuses the characters in the narrative, but can equally be obscure for the reader, end quote. I'm going to say that again. This literary device of misunderstanding not only confuses the characters of the narrative, but can equally be obscure for the reader. So as a reader, you must make sure 
that you aim to understand and take the position given by Jesus or the position given by Jesus and clarified by the narrator. You cannot take the position of Jesus' confused conversation partners to come to the same interpretation as the misunderstood conversation partners is to misunderstand and fail to accept Jesus' teachings. Don't be someone who misunderstands Jesus by taking the interpretation of the dialogue partners that have misunderstood Jesus. That's very important when it comes to reading the Gospel of John. There's a lot of confusion when it comes to things that Jesus says in the Gospel of John, like in John chapter 8, where Jesus is talking about being the Son of Man and being the I am He. And readers often, wanting to support their own preconceived theology that they read back into the text, will take the interpretation of Jesus' Jewish dialogue partners, who clearly, according to the theme of misunderstanding, have misunderstood Jesus. So this particular article is saying, don't be like the misunderstood people in the narrative and take a position that misunderstands Jesus. Take Jesus' position. Moving a little bit more to the present, in a recent commentary from 2015, so it's only six years old, in the New Testament Library series, which is authored by Marianne May Thompson, the theme of misunderstanding is pretty much taken as an established point for correctly interpreting the Gospel of John. Thompson points out that Jesus says something that is absurdly taken literally by his conversation partners and that it was never meant that way by Jesus. Thompson also points out in her commentary the importance of the perspective of the narrator in making sure that the reader understands what Jesus meant and how he is being misunderstood. Although this guiding hand of the narrator is not always present, particularly when the irony is so clear and obvious to the informed reader. So that demonstrates that scholarship for at least 140 years has effectively demonstrated a consensus point that the theme of misunderstanding is in the Gospel of John. It's prevalent in the Gospel of John. It demonstrates Jesus saying something that's ambiguous, his dialogue partner interpreting it literally, sometimes to the point of absurdity, but Jesus doesn't mean it literally. He means it in a different way, and often that different way is described by Jesus or the narrator himself. Let's move to our third point, point number three, which is a biblical test case. Let's look at the first Johannine misunderstanding within the narrative, which is about destroying and raising the temple. So the very first time that this appears in the Gospel of John is in John chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. So in John 2, 19, it says that Jesus answered them, and Jesus is speaking to the Jews while Jesus is situated in the Jerusalem temple, Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it took 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. 
but he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. That's John chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. So let's look at this passage and see if we can see the three steps in the theme of misunderstanding. Step number one, has Jesus saying something that is ambiguous? Here we can see in verse 19, Jesus speaking. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Okay, so Jesus talks about the destruction of this temple and how it's going to be rebuilt in three days. Clearly, the rebuilding of a temple as massive as the Jerusalem temple would be absolutely ridiculous to claim that it could take place over the course of three days or even three years. We can see this in the response. Jews say that it took 46 years to build or technically rebuild this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days. So here we can see the identity of the dialogue partners. It's the Jews. They disagree with Jesus, but they, according to step number two, they interpret what Jesus says literally, even to the point of absurdity. Now, here's something to actually consider. Let's say that you or someone that was actually present in the midst of this conversation. Let's say that you had no awareness of what was going to happen in the future, that Jesus was going to die, be buried, and be raised on the third day, and that the Christian movement was going to begin, and that the Pauline doctrine of the body of Christ, where the body of Christ is going to be described as this new temple of God, and that Jesus himself was going to be understood as the locus of God's presence in Christian theology. So you didn't have all of that foresight. You're just sitting here hearing Jesus say, that the temple is going to be destroyed, it's going to be raised in three days, and Jesus seems to be misunderstood, but you actually don't know at this point what Jesus means. It's not clear to you what is going to happen because we don't have any sort of precedent about this sort of expectation from your perspective. So we can also see in verses 21 through 22 the explanation that's given by the narrator in regard to this particular point, which is important because it also tells us that when Jesus was raised from the dead, there, by the way, the passive indicating that God raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus didn't raise himself. When he was raised, when the Father raised Jesus from the dead, Jesus' disciples remembered that he said this. So it's this post-resurrection remembrance. It's the perspective that they have and they now understand from looking at it after the resurrection. And of course, they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. They responded to what Jesus said by understanding his teaching. They responded to that word, that statement that Jesus had spoken. And of course, they believed the scripture. There's a passage of scripture that was spoken earlier in this section of John chapter 2 about the temple. So there you have it. You have all three parts of the theme of misunderstanding. You have Jesus speaking something 
that is ambiguous in verse 19. You have the response of the dialogue partners who take it literally to the point of absurdity in verse 20. And you also have the clarification or the explanation, this given by the narrator, in verses 21 through 22. So it's really common for people to read this passage and to see how the theme of misunderstanding functions. And they'll look and they'll say, okay, Jesus' body is the true temple. Clearly, Jesus wasn't talking about the literal temple, the Jerusalem temple in which he is currently standing. He's not talking about the physical building. He's talking about his own body. But I don't think a lot of readers have taken the time to really understand what is it that Jesus is saying. They note what he's not saying. They say Jesus is not talking about the physical building but they haven't put as much emphasis into what he is saying. What does it mean for Christian theology to say that Jesus himself is the true temple? What was the temple? Well, the temple was the building in which God's presence would dwell. After Solomon built the first temple, according to 1 Kings chapters 6-8, through eight, the presence of God came and indwelt the temple, specifically in the Holy of Holies. And that was the point of the Holy of Holies, was that it was where God was residing. Yes, God was in heaven, but God would extend himself and God would dwell, usually with this pillar of light, in the Jerusalem temple. And it indicated God's presence in the temple, and it indicated God's favor with the Jewish people, with the people of God. So what does it mean that Jesus is now this temple? What does it mean that the human Messiah, Jesus Christ, is now the temple? Well, what it does mean is that Jesus is now the locus of God's presence. Now, this was already told to us earlier in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 1, verse 14, where the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us, and we beheld his glory. God's creative and powerful Word became embodied in the human Jesus, and it tabernacled among us, using this tabernacling temple language, and we beheld God's glory. We beheld that glory, that glory which formerly was indicating God's presence dwelling in the temple, and now we have it embodied in the human Jesus. Jesus is functioning as the new temple, the human temple functioning as the authorized agent of God. Of course, we could see this even in the Gospel of John, where the Gospel of John will say, that Jesus is claiming that the Father is in me. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. The words that Jesus is speaking are not Jesus' words, they're the Father's words. Jesus speaks in a way to which God is actually, in a sense, dwelling in him as this new temple. Specifically, it's the Father. Let's be clear that the Father is the only true God in the Gospel of John. So Jesus is saying that the Father is dwelling in him as he functions as this new temple. But Jesus says this as a human being, as a man. 
In the Gospel of John, Jesus is described as a human being far more frequently than even Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Of course, this theology would not be new to the time of the writing of the Gospel of John. Even the Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, said that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. God was working through Jesus, reconciling the world to himself. And so, here in the Gospel of John, God was clearly working through Jesus, but Jesus is being defined as the new temple already. So that's very important. Of course, you could see how that could even be misunderstood. That could be taken to an extreme of an actual embodiment of God in Jesus. I think that would be pressing this too hard. This is the glory of God being with Jesus, being in Jesus in the way that the glory of God was present in the temple. So what's the point of all this? What does all this mean? What is the significance of what we're saying? Well, that moves us to our fourth and final point. Point number four, the intended functions of the narrator for the ideal reader of the Gospel of John. What is the narrator trying to get the reader to understand and do by reading this particular narrative theme of misunderstanding? Well, since the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is often at the heart of the theme of misunderstanding, as we just saw in our reference to destroying the temple, namely the body of Jesus, and it being raised, this suggests that its theology, the theology of the death, burial, and resurrection, is vital to the author. And it also indicates that this theology was likely an ongoing disagreement with the author's community, which the scholarly community calls the Johannan community, with its Jewish critics. Accepting this theology was crucial to accepting Jesus, according to the author of the Gospel of John. The theme of misunderstanding also creates this insider versus outsider group identity. The insiders are those who are in the know. The insiders understand Jesus, and they understand his teachings. Outsiders do not understand, and of course, they don't accept Jesus' teachings. It's very important for Christianity that if you want to accept Jesus, you also have to understand his teachings. You can't accept Jesus without understanding the things that he says. Furthermore, and arguably the most important function of the theme of misunderstanding is that it teaches readers how to read the Gospel of John. The theme actually calls attention to the narrative's metaphors and double entendres. It guides the readers in interpretation by ruling out literal, material, worldly, or general meanings of such references. It also reaffirms for the insider readers that they belong to the community of faith, and it warns them that failing to understand Jesus places them along the lines of the opposing Jews, portrayed both by the narrative and in the real-life social situation of the Johannine community and its Jewish critics.
So in conclusion, we have observed that the theme of misunderstanding in the Gospel of John involves three steps. Step one, Jesus speaks ambiguously. Step two, Jesus is misunderstood often by his conversation partner, taking his statement literally. And step number three, the author or Jesus himself regularly clarifying the true meaning. The misunderstanding is quite prevalent in the Gospel of John, arguably appearing 18 times within its narrative. The misunderstanding has been widely accepted as non-controversial and clearly apparent by scholars of the Gospel of John for over a hundred years. As far as I know, it is an uncontested and established piece of literary irony for interpreters of the Gospel of John. And by portraying Jesus as the true temple, Jesus is the human locus of the Father's presence. Not unlike when Paul said that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. This means that Jesus was a true prophet. He should be listened to. He should be followed. When Jesus says and does things that claim to be the Messiah, he should be believed and accepted. It indicates if the Father was working through Jesus, then Jesus is truly authorized by God. Jesus functioned as the empowered agent of the Father in Jesus' earthly ministry. And of course, as expressed within the narrative of the Gospel of John. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Please join us next week as we continue to look at the theme of misunderstanding within the Gospel of John in exploring what it means for the identity of Jesus and for what Jesus is teaching. Please look forward to our next episode. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider supporting us as we aim to promote the important truths about the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. If you'd like to offer a donation, you may check us out on PayPal with the link provided in the episode's notes. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. I'm Dustin Smith, your host. Until next time, please take care.